We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of Buzz Beat, we talk about the Hornets' recent play out west, share our thoughts on the SNL skit involving Keenan Thompson as LeVar Ball, and get to a couple listener questions concerning Devontae Graham and Malik Monk. All that up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome in to another Buzz Beat. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by co-host Brian today and returning guest Lee Branscombe of the Witch Carolina podcast as we wrap up the first half of the NBA schedule. Charlotte has one more game against Minnesota before hitting the All-Star break. Uh, but yes, we are we are heading towards the second half of the schedule here. Brian and Lee, hope you guys are doing well. I'm actually starting to wonder if the East Coast time zone is not right for me. I, I just cannot <laughs> stay up for these games. So as we speak about the Hornets today, I was unable to watch the Portland game. So I'll have to actually watch that sometime soon. And I'll actually probably watch it after the Minnesota game, which is which is funny. I'll watch it out of order. But man, you know, having a two year old being a teacher, uh, <laughs> staying up for these games. I was talking to Lee like I'm, I'm one of those people that. If I commit to a game, I'm going to watch it, you know, in its entirety. So I knew going into the Portland game that there was no way that I was going to be able to make it from quarter one to quarter four. So have you guys ever considered about moving maybe a little bit farther west to kind of take in some of these games? Yeah, so I had a buddy who lived in central time and even just like that hour, he he would just kind of gloat to me about like the, the times in which he would get to, especially because this was kind of at the peak of Steph Curry's powers in like 2016, 17. He's like, oh yeah, Steph starts for nine at me. So, you know, yeah, get over to mountain time and then you, you got even more of an advantage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, there was even a period in my life where I like, I, I was like really actually trying to move to Colorado and just could not find a job out there. So, but like part of it was going to be like, I'll get league pass and I can watch the, you know, the, the Hornets or whomever else, you know, who else the West coast, the West, there's so many good teams in the Western conference. Um, But it changes stuff up too. It's like, even 
you know, if you watch soccer or football on the weekends, like even that is, is altered for it. And like good and bad, I think to that, it is kind of nice to wake up and like have, you know, have ball on. if you, if you're trying to watch games, that is, that is kind of cool. So I have considered it. I'm open to the possibility, but uh, I don't, I don't foresee that happening anytime uh, too soon. I'm trying to think like, is there an advantage to the East coast time zone? Yeah. I mean, we're in the South, right? So at least football doesn't start on Sunday until church is over. Uh, You also got like, (laughs) uh, like if, if you live in, if you live on the West coast, you got a lot of good things going for you. But if you live out there, if you want to watch a game that starts at seven, you know, it starts at four. Like if it's not, if, you know, if you are, if you have a day job, you might not be able to, yeah, you may have to watch true. those, those games on delay. It's a small, it's a small thing, but Richie, to the point you were mentioning a little bit ago, like watching games on tape is like delay is like kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Like there's like less pressure to be sort of like, you know, keeping up or tweeting it in real time. Um, it's sort of easier to take better notes uh, even on games that I watched live, I mean, I, I go back and, and we'll watch a fair amount of them uh, tape too, just because like you're definitely going to see stuff that you missed live. There's just no, even though I, I try not to be on Twitter like too much during during these games. So mm-hmm. um, I actually love watching games on 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 delay. Uh, so the kudos to you for for the the patience to uh to hold off on on portland here for yes, a day or two yes i will uh jump skip the commercials i also skip the yeah. uh, free throw shots as well i, I just okay did he make yeah. them did he not yeah I, I can do the math there it's only two points maximum <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the nicest things about um when you get games on synergy because like when you download them they cut all they cut all the commercials out wow and then uh, recently, unfortunately, last week, this feature went away, but Synergy was giving everyone access to this thing called their beta team site, which allowed me to pull up film on literally anything I want. Like I could get a game that had like hotkey features on it for like pause, yeah. rewind, fast forward, skip. And, but that, they didn't give us that access until like November. And then last week they literally... They, they pulled it away. It was a sad, a sad <laughs> moment. Anyone out there who, who has synergy and, and was taking advantage of that knows what I'm talking about because uh, it was a, it was a really cool asset for about the last 90 days, but that was so easy to skip whatever you didn't like free throws took literally a second for you to get through. You didn't <laughs> have to like, cause the, because of the hockey feature, it would just skip ahead to whatever the loaded next clip was. So it was amazing. But yeah, I guess if you don't work for a team, you don't really get access to to, to all these amazing video features that that actually exist. And they had that for NBA and college games. Like nice. I was able to watch, get ready for high point games with that feature, and I also watched Hornets games with that too. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that's gone now, unfortunately. Another thing that I did not stay up for was Saturday Night Live this past Saturday. Uh, I'm sure, have, have you, Lee, did you see the skit? I'm, ass- I'm assuming you saw the skit, right? I, I, I saw, yes, I've caught wind of the skit. Yeah. 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 Right, so I'm not a big SNL guy. Uh, I probably was a bigger fan, you know, back in the day. I, I just generally don't find that, I don't really find it all that funny. But with the Hornets and LeVar and LaMelo Ball getting some attention within this little skit uh, this past Saturday, Keenan Thompson plays LeVar, and as always, he's kind of over the top, 
propping up his son to win not only rookie of the year, but to win MVP. Uh, there are also, you know, there's some mentions about Charlotte being the most storied franchise in basketball. That's uh, right. LaMelo being able to unite <laughs> North Carolina and South Carolina. Carolossus. Uh, yes, Carolossus or whatever they called it. So, again, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this, but I, I, I'll say this. Like, it's clearly giving this franchise more attention. I wasn't really all that amused by the skit, but I think the attention is definitely needed here in Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the the Lavar dynamic is 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 probably worn out its welcome from like a comedic comedic relief standpoint. But your overall point about the Charlotte Hornets being interesting from a national perspective is still really weird to me. Like, yeah. I, and and I think I've even mentioned this to you before, Richie. But like, I'll catch national NBA writers tweeting about the Hornets while they're playing. And I'm like, wait, why are you guys watching the Hornets? Like, Oh, because we are one of the most interesting rosters in the NBA right now, largely due to LaMelo, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we, we, everyone who follows this team knew, maybe didn't know exactly how it was going to change, but especially once he started playing well, you knew that stuff was going to change. It was going to change quickly, both from a, a national media perspective among, you know, other NBA writers and NBA dorks to the, like touching on something like SNL, which, it, you know, is a, is a, is a, is an important part of the, the American culture, like it or, or hate it. Like, you know, <laughs> however you sort of feel about it. And so the, yeah, it's like, it's kind of amazing to see that I had multiple people like text me and ask me, you know, did you, did you see? And it's like, nah, I, I mean, I was definitely watching basketball that night. So no, I didn't, see this live but as someone that's like invested in the hornets online community of course i saw the clip you know like very very quickly i saw the clip that night as soon as it started making the rounds on uh on on twitter i for me for me what i've always thought about and i think i do think there's going to be like a little bit of a weird adjustment period like we've been sort of like getting to enjoy the hornets sort of like in the shadows for a while right in, enjoys maybe a relative term, like sort of, you know, tolerate, suffer through, suffer through yeah, uh, gripe and bang your head against the wall about drink, you know, whatever your vice, uh, you know, take the dog for a really long walk, like whatever it is, healthy or the otherwise. And now it's weird. It's like you, you like you've been drinking in this dive bar with with just like your closest friends. Like, why the hell would anyone be there? Then just you and these other people that have like sentimental value attached to this enterprise. And now all of a sudden, like all of these like fancy, fancy new rich people are like coming in and it's just, it's disorienting. Um, it's hard to say whether it's like good or bad uh, at this moment either. Like it's probably for probably good in, in a lot of ways though. Like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of like territorial, you know, nests that, that we're, you know, we're going to have our, like our, our claws out at times, probably depending on how some of the, the criticism and the, uh, the commentary goes, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and as someone that, you know, lives in the triangle, Lee, I know you live in the triangle too. And there's like a friendly Raleigh triangle, Charlotte rivalry in the state. So, mm -hmm. Um, I didn't mind seeing Charlotte get made fun of on national television. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. I wanted to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you 
can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience acceptance into the program is limited so get in your application today to apply go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join All right, let's get into the recent play of the Hornets on this West Coast trip. They have six games that they have played or they will play uh, after Wednesday's game against Minnesota. They are currently sitting at two and three on this road trip. Heading into this trip, I would have taken a 500 record and I would have been good with it. Uh, Maybe even two and four. But knowing that the Hornets can wrap up this road trip with a win against Minnesota and head into the break with the 17 and 18 record, it feels like a huge win for the Hornets going on the West Coast, uh, playing in these back to backs, playing in these time zones that are not familiar to them. And also considering how these injuries are piling up as well. So I think if they get the win against Minnesota, and even if they don't, I, I think you can consider this West Coast trip a win in the view of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, They actually do have another West Coast trip fairly early into the second half of the schedule, which is actually probably more of a problem with Denver and both LA teams. Um, But I'm sure the hope is that by that time, maybe Graham and Hayward and Zeller will all heal up and maybe they can try to steal a game of those three teams. So one player that I think that we do need to talk about is Malik Monk couple things first off is playmaking I, I i know that we've always talked about this in seasons past and i wouldn't necessarily say he's lighting it up in the assist department but his ability to get out and transition uh, get the defense on their heels he can make plays on the run uh, get others involved that's always an added bonus with monk because he is someone that can be a microwave scorer off the bench. But I think a lot of times people don't view the passing and playmaking ability from monk, but also he is getting back to his ways finishing at the rim. That was something that he kind of slowly was getting into uh, the past four or five games Uh, when he started the season or when he started to, you know, see run this season, he was not finishing at the rim, but that volume and efficiency is there for Malik Monk. 84% of his field goal attempts uh, since February 22nd, that's when they started this West coast trip in Utah uh, have been at the rim or from behind the arc. And just to note this, he has a crazy field goal percentage within four feet of the hoop in that time at 78.3%. So he's making an impact, uh, you know, shooting the ball from deep. He's making an impact 
making timely shots. He's making an impact getting and finishing at the rim. And just overall, like you've just seen this assertiveness and he has not been shy in getting shots up. And, you know, it might be partly due to the fact that Devontae is is not there and, and they need another guard that can get us some shots. I actually would not be surprised. I need to look this up. I would not be surprised if he's actually taken the most shots since Utah. Like, hmm. it's got it's got to be up there. It's got to be up there. But Malik Monk is the one guy that's kind of stood out to me on this six-game six trip. Yeah, uh, so a couple things. I mean... Number one, if you kind of take like a macro view of Malik Monk's play, it's weird to consider because it's been so fractured due to the year that was 2020. But everyone on this podcast knows how great he was playing prior to the suspension last year. So even though the time difference is like a year and a half between that good streak and this one, it is his most relevant sample size from an NBA court perspective. And he's really carried that right over to being reinserted back into the rotation after missing some time early in this season. I think my number one takeaway from Malik Monk has been the violent improvement in his three-point percentage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still somewhat of a small sample size. I don't think Malik Monk is going to finish the season as a 44% three-point shooter. But for someone that had a reputation as a shooter coming out of Lexington, his three-point percentage decreased every year from his freshman year at Kentucky. And if he is even just a 38% three-point shooter, I think that kind of completely changes the calculus on his value as an offensive player. Obviously, he's entering a contract year. You talked about how impressive he's been finishing at the rim. If he's starting to meld together an offensive game as a productive three-point shooter mixed with the innate ability he has as a twi quick twitch finisher mm – -hmm. I think you're all of a sudden looking at a much more valuable player. And just to cap it off before Brian shares some of his thoughts, him coming off the bench and just injecting instant offense and energy into this lineup is one of the most joyful things to watch about this Hornets team. And, and it gives you confidence that like, okay, if the starters start off a little slow, Miles and, and Malik are going to come into this game and just go wild. Yeah, you thought when LaMelo moved earlier in the season, when he moved from the bench to the starting lineup, like how would that change some of the second line? Like he and Miles are really starting to, you know, develop into a, you know, sort of this hit chemistry uh, coming off the bench and what would happen. And because Monk has been playing so well this season, you know, it's like, it's like they haven't, they do, there's still that, like that vibe, that juice that comes in with the second unit that even when Charlotte is missing three guys, like uh, I, I, I talked with a couple people today about the loss in Portland, like not only the second night of a back-to-back, -back, but no Cody Zeller, no Gordon Hayward, no Devonte Graham. And yeah. And even then that game was like a two, like a three possession game in the fourth quarter before the Blazers just went, went nuts hitting threes with Lillard on the bench. But what's nuts for me about Monk is it's like, I'm not surprised at all. Like I've known this guy was good. He just turned 23. You saw the light start to go on with him last season with him getting to the hoop and with his defense, just improving rapidly and just being a, being an on-time help defender, being disruptive uh, as a, as a help defender. Um, he can really be a pest at times. Not like he's like elite on that end of the court necessarily, right. but man, he has some possessions where he's, 
just very, very impressive defensively. And it's not just like, oh, look how athletic Malik is, like gambling for steals. It's like, no, no, no. Like he was in the weak side corner. He rotated down and he broke up a lob to the big guy rolling to the hoop. That that should have been a dunk. Malik just saved two points. And like no one's, that doesn't even show up in the stat sheet because, you know, unless you look at deflections or whatever. So, but it's hard to believe like six weeks ago, this dude wasn't even in the rotation. Like he didn't get thrown into this until like late, late January. Mm-hmm. And I remember Rich, you and I recorded a pod with Spencer a couple of weeks ago where we were sort of like, Hey, what's the realistic expectation for Malik Monk from here on out? And the, the, I think we took a sort of like pragmatic standpoint, which was basically like, look, just stay in the rotation. You're good. And if you, if you, if this guy can just stay in the rotation, you know, he's going to have an impact because his talents are real. And I think he's even exceeded that. Like, I just think he's been special. They have a different look when he's on the court. And Richie, you brought up his passing. We were talking before we recorded today too, just like how, how, how crazy it is that Charlotte, not the most efficient offense in the world. Like they've got tons of issues, especially when Zeller's not healthy and they're, they're forced to play, you know, biz for some percentage of the game or whatever, but they're, they can't be much, a lot of fun to prepare for. And I wouldn't, if I were like a good Eastern conference team, if I had to face them in the playoffs, I wouldn't be too thrilled about it because they've got so many guys that can get hot, that can score 30 plus can score 40 plus in a game into Richie. This is the point I wanted to make that you brought up with Malik's passing. Like they've got so many guys that can create easy mm-hmm. looks for other people like LaMelo. No, duh. Devante, obviously Gordon Hayward, obviously Malik Monk. Yes. And we've seen miles and PJ. We know what Zeller can do. Like, it's wild how many options they have from like a scoring and playmaking standpoint, even for an offense that is like, you know, over the course of the season is probably going to end up like middle of the pack or like bottom third or whatever. It's still, they are they're They can be spooky on certain nights and Monk plays into that. I'm thrilled for him. I, I've believed in his talent from the jump. It took a while. Um, he's talked about maturing. He hit a streak of bad luck with the suspension coming and then like a week later the season shutting down you know and then he got covid right before training camp and just it was like man this dude just can't get right and i even think on one of the other pods that we had in in december or january richie you spencer and i talked about like if is it just over like is it just done maybe they'll play this guy They'll, they'll showcase him for a trade or something like that and then and that that'll be it like he'll he'll malik we'll just we'll just move on and and now you're like holy crap, I can't like imagine this, this franchise without him going forward. Look how, look how talented this, look how well he fits next to LaMelo. Look what he does both as like a, a guy coming off the bench and a guy that you can trust in, in clutch time. Like he just changes the dynamic as soon as you put him out there. So yeah, like give this guy his roses, man. He's really dedicated himself to playing basketball. Every interview you hear with him, all he talks about is just like, look, if I weren't playing a, a game, an NBA game right now, I would be literally in a gym playing hoops. I'm thrilled for him. And, and I, I really do think the, be- the best is yet to come because he's, he, he turned 23 less than a month ago. Like he's young and he's, he's damn talented. So uh, Richie, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought him up. It, it would be easy to continue highlighting LaMelo who's been, you know, spectacular in so many different ways, but, but Monk has been a real, a real joy the last like five weeks of the season. And the thing is, like, you have to speculate. I mean, you just have to speculate why it took so long for him to get in the rotation. 
you know, you could talk about the COVID situation and, and him coming back into form and, you know, getting that conditioning right. You even mentioned Jason Tatum last week or a couple of weeks yeah. ago about about yeah. that, how it does have lasting effects. But I don't think that that was the only reason. But you would think with the way that Borrego has structured this offense where it's very pass-heavy, it's very much trying to get the best shot available, whether that's at the rim or whether that's from behind the arc, he does that for this team. So I didn't understand why he wasn't available mm. in the rotation. He did favor the Martin twins over Monk. And there's some yeah. value to those Martin twins. I, I'm not going to discredit what they have done and, and what they can bring on the court, but to not even play at all and then just kind of be inserted in there out, you know, out of the blue, basically, I've always felt like there had to be some kind of trust issues between Borrego and Monk. That's just my speculation. And when you have a short leash like that, it's sometimes tough to get in a flow and it's sometimes tough try to not make a mistake and, and play freely like Monk is <laughs> yeah. so freely playing. And, and to your point, BG, about the defensive side of the court, Borrego does like to, when they get towards the end of the game, Borrego does like to go offense for defense sometimes. So mm -hmm. if Monk can compete on the defensive side of the court, mm -hmm. he's going to be in closing lineups more frequently moving forward. And I think he yeah. should be because he can offer stuff, something on both ends of the court. Yeah, he's a real the what makes him so tantalizing is certainly the the passing like that's like that's like the cherry on top. But what it really is, is that like he can be a two way player. Right. And he can create his own shot. He can create shots for others. He can pressure the rim. Charlotte has two guys now with LaMelo, who's getting 40 percent of his shots at the rim, which is a ton. And like you said, Malik, that number's just going up and up and up after a, a slower start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he just has so much stuff that's like appealing in like a, a combo guard type package because the ideal version of him can kind of do everything, right? Uh, I, I like, I'm sure some people will hear that and think we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Maybe we are, but like he, he is talented. You can tell he is playing freely too, Richie. Like, again, it, this is like, this is a trite comparison to make, but just think six weeks ago telling, like showing the highlight to yourself of Malik shooting like step back threes in transition and being like, no, no, no. Like this is there. This is like, a, this is an okay thing. What's happening. Like in the flow of the game, you would just be like, I, what has changed in the span of 35 days to, to get us from that, that point to where we are now. But I, again, it's, it's wonderful to see. And then the last thing I wanted to say about monk, you know, he was sub 30% on threes last year. Lee, you brought that up. I wasn't too concerned. I mean, I, this felt like this was me speculating, but like his right hand was bandaged all last season. And I, I always wondered, I always just sort of thought I probably said it on the pod a couple of times. Like, is, is it hurt or like, what's that there for? Is that, that, is that messing with his shot? Like he maybe was never the first two seasons, like quite the bomber that everyone thought he would be coming out of Kentucky. Um, but I didn't like, there's no way that guy was like a sub 30% three point shooter. Like, come on. And this season he started off like unsustainably hot on catch and shoot threes. Like he was above 60% a week ago. He's about 50% now that'll continue to go down. But as that's happened, his pull-up three-point shooting has gone up to like he's in the mid 30s on on off the dribble threes to at least point. If he settles in in that high 30s range with how much he's able to pressure the rim and, and play off, that's just going to open up more stuff for him. You know, if he continues mm -hmm. to force closeouts and stuff like that. So yeah, hats off to 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 Malik once again. 
And I just wanted to, to reiterate the great point that, that Brian made that I don't think people realize is his age. I mean, Malik Monk is the same age as some of the older rookies that came yeah. into the league in this draft. So right. we right. do have to keep that context from a player development standpoint. And also to the points to, to the points that both of you were making kind of about how many different weapons this Charlotte Hornets team has from a skill set skill set standpoint guys that can dribble pass and shoot i think that has to be playing into the fact of why they've been so good good in clutch time as defined by the nba this season I, look the hornets are shooting above 50% from the field and the three point line in clutch time <laughs> this year which I'm not expecting or saying that that should be the case over a large sample size, but just from like a offensive structure standpoint, the fact that they can put five guys out there, particularly when PJ Washington is at the five on the floor that can all make plays and can all make shots. That is a difficult cocktail for other teams to deal with. And it bears out in the numbers so far. That plus like the, obviously we, we all know this, like shooting luck goes into those clutch numbers, but like that playmaking plus JB is like an after timeout play design guy, which is like one of his real strengths as a coach. Yeah. You put those two things together and a, a bunch of guards that just aren't afraid of anything and, and are, and are talented. Yeah. Again, this, this is what goes in. This is what makes Charlotte. You look at the, the, the catch all numbers on offense and you're like, yeah, they're like, you know, they're, they're not so great. They've been middle of the pack the last two weeks in terms of efficiency, but what they, what they put on the court is, is, is hard to, to prepare for, especially when they're healthy eh, because they they have a lot of guys that can create, create for others and score from different levels of the court. Plus the, the clutch time offense, like, We'll see if that's something they can hang their hat on long term. But for now, like it's it's been a feature of this team, you know, for the last one and a half seasons. Right. Mm -hmm. Like going back to last Mm -hmm. year, we even without LaMelo. So, you know, what I've always been impressed by, Brian, is the fact that, you know, all the ages of the players. I just feel like, you know, (laughs) you probably have a desk calendar. You know, it says August 15th. This is Miles Bridges birthday. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like if you. Luckily, I mean, basketball reference and cleaning the glass, like keep them on the page. Yeah. Like yeah. that helps. But I do think it's like if you pay attention to the draft, you're just like aware when it's right. like. How many years out of high school was this guy when he got to the league and what and like you have maybe have some idea whether they were young or old. Like we all know Patrick Williams was super young for this one. We know a year ago, Taylor Horton Tucker was super young for that class. Mm-hmm. Um, and LaMelo was really young for this rookie class too. Like it's nuts. He's just 19 still. It's completely insane. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One more player that I want to highlight on this West Coast trip before maybe you guys want to bring up something, either a team trend or a player trend, is Terry Rozier. I don't know if I would make the case, but I think you could make the argument that Rozier has been the best all-around mid-range shooter on this team, and that includes Gordon Hayward. Like I looked at the numbers, and you know I thought my eyes were deceiving me over the past couple of games just watching how many mid-range pull-up shots he was making. I actually took this back to February 1st, which is farther back from the West Coast trip. Rozier is shooting 56.3% on shots from 4 to 14 feet and 58.3% on shots from 14 feet to three-point line. Both of these are first on the Hornets for those players that have attempted at least 10 from each of those areas. Now, I try to compare this to the rest of the league, so I actually upped the, I guess, the volume here, and I said, okay, of players that have taken 30-plus field goal attempts from 4 to 14 feet, where does Rozier rank in terms of percentage dating back to February 1st? He's ninth in the NBA. And here's the thing. Last year, that was an issue for him. When he got in the paint, he was very indecisive. He wasn't taking shots. He wasn't assertive. This year, it's a totally different story for Terry Rozier. And we all know about his catch-and-shoot numbers from behind the arc. And now that you're adding a mid-range game, it, it makes him more deadly. And, and we all know about his clutch performances as well. So that's that's another player that I did want to highlight. Uh, I know that he gets a lot of flack for the contract and everything like that. But he he's producing for this team. No question about it. Uh, you know, to, to keep with the age motif, he's okay. only 26. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, They're young, man. This yeah. seems young. And uh, just to add another, uh, you know, eye-popping uh-huh. shooting statistic for, for Rozier, effective field goal percentage of 60% on the year, which is 89th percentile at his position. That's off cleaning the glass. I mean, he's just – he's been a elite all-world shooter this year. And, and I don't think that's an understatement from a, statistic, from a statistical standpoint <laughs> – He's also just like one of my favorite Hornets personally of all time, just due to kind of his moxie and toughness and the way he carries himself, kind of that fearlessness Mm -hmm. that you really could describe a lot of the Hornets guards with. I think it kind of starts with Terry Rozier from an attitude standpoint. I just love the way he carries himself, even in a game against Sacramento, which was one of his worst games from a shooting standpoint on the year he still has six points in the final minute with a kind of ridiculous off the dribble three and then gets fouled on that three on the right wing. So even on nights where he isn't being this all world elite catch and shoot guy, you still have the confidence that he's going to be able to make a play at the end of the game that can help us win. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of just my my thoughts about Terry Rozier. I I think he's a a national treasure at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Couple, couple, couple things here. Uh, Rozier, even after a couple, couple uh, tougher shooting nights recently, uh, still 73.4% on half court catch and shoot looks. That's in the 96th percentile in the NBA off, obviously unreal. A lot of volume. Um, he's probably, if you filter through guys with like a hundred more of those possessions, he's he was number one in the NBA. Like at one point, one day, like a week or two ago, he's probably still in the top three or five. Yeah, he's been like JB is has a very like diverse playbook for after timeouts. 
But a lot of those things also end up with, uh, you know, Terry curling off a screen or running off a screen for a, for, for a catch and shoot. Look, um, I have some of my gripes with, with Rozier. <laughs> Most of those, more of those come on the defensive end, like as like a catch and shoot gunner, he is, he's been pretty electric. Um, and then two other things that I wanted to highlight one, just talking about, we talked a little bit about Charlotte's tempo this season, just the pace they're playing with LaMelo. I'd like to update some numbers. Um, Charlotte is now, in terms of average time of possession, after, uh, like, just when they have the basketball, Charlotte, 14 seconds per possession. That is six fastest in the NBA. Um, after an opponent turnover, they're averaging eight seconds per possession. That's second fastest in the NBA, and they're scoring nearly 1.4 points per possession on those looks. That's number two in the NBA, um, but they're flying after made shots. They're flying after defensive rebounds. Basically, they're top 10 right now in terms of t- like pace in all of these different possession types. Total after a made shot, after a defensive rebound, and after a turnover. All of those numbers are courtesy of uh, Unpredictable, which is uh, a phenomenal site. So, like, Lamelo is a big deal, a big part of that. He's the catalyst, but like, like Spencer talked about a couple weeks ago, like it's in the DNA for these guys on this roster. Like they want to play fast, and, and they've got the the athletes to go out and get it. Even even guys like you know Hayward or whatever. Like you've even seen him him sort of take off and have an impact in transition. Synergy has Charlotte fourth in the NBA in uh, efficiency in terms of transition possessions as well. So that's clearly been a big boon for them they did not run as frequently nor as efficiently a season ago they have they have grown leaps and bounds in that and then the other thing i wanted to mention too was like dude pj washington had 42 points against the kings uh i I know this season's been like a little up and down for pj i think he has taken he's caught some heat maybe some of it deserved maybe some of it less deserved Uh I think for like, we've talked about PJ uh, uh, like on a handful of pods over the last month or so. Like I've tried to stay steady on him because I just, the the talent in his fit in the modern NBA is just so real. And he can kind of like do a little bit of everything, but uh, that game at Sacramento, like he was just, I mean, he was incredible. Five, eight on threes, 15 to 23 from the field, uh, you know, low turnover game. Great in the show was just awesome in the short roll, seven to seven from the free throw line. Yeah, man, he was just spectacular in that game. Lamella was amazing too. <laughs> Nine to ten from the line in that game, 12 assists, 24 points. And that was one of those games. Not like this was the first time we've seen it this season, but we've talked about hey, what's the ideal roster type look like around Lamello Ball? And who on the current roster like fits best with Lamello Ball? And it's a bit of a blank slate right now, which is like intimidating and also great. But I've always maintained that like, it, you, look, maybe at some point there's an upgrade here along the way. But for right now, PJ is like a nice fit as a short roll partner and as a pick and pop guy that you can partner with LaMelo. LaMelo like draws the extra attention. He's a great pick and pop passer. He can draw two defenders and uh, PJ is the guy that can play off that advantage, especially like Lee said, if you have him in there at the five, we saw a few of the, uh, on a few of the possessions he actually struggled against Sacramento. It was because Biz was in there at the dunker spot when he caught it on the on the on the um, the short roll. So just had to give a plug to PJ Washington. Like he is another part. Like he's a very important part of the young core. I don't know. I'm hopeful that like he he's able to sort of like recharge the batteries a little bit after he gets um you know a week off here for for All Star break. 
Yeah, I would just, I think I should add, um, after singing Rozier's praises, deservedly so, I think it's also fair to mention, to Brian's point about some of the issues that LaMelo Ball solves immediately as a 19-year-old for this roster, which is insane, is he he allows Rozier to be correctly cast. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have any delusions that Terry Rozier is a uh, exceptional playmaker. He's not. But when he, especially when Devontae Graham is healthy, and I think that's probably a small reason why Rozier hasn't been as effective on this West Coast swing, is because he is shoved into playmaking responsibilities when we don't have Devontae Graham mm-hmm. and LaMelo Ball both active. Yeah. Um, so... I, and and really, that's a credit more to Lamelo probably than anything else. But when when you have this dynamic six seven point guard rookie that we do, Rozier all of a sudden can exist as he should, which is as an off ball shot hunter. And I think that's uh, important for me to kind of pair with with the praises I was singing. The it's it's a great point you bring up, and it speaks to an even larger point of like. I feel like the tide has turned at least a little bit in some corners this year of, you know, Charlotte has started to get some praise for the Rozier acquisition right. um, as, as sort of a thing that they were able to grab as, as Kemba, you know, uh, left town. And it's that, like that it's important that basically Charlotte has put him in a role that he just didn't have in Boston. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not that, they, Oh, they're giving him like more pick and rolls, which last year they did, but like it's that last season in this year, they've really turned him into one of the best catch and shoot, you know, b- movement shooters, just long range bombers in the NBA. That it was just something you did not see as much or anything close to that for most of his time in Boston, even though he was playing, you know, in Brad Stevens's, you know, wonderful motion offense, you know, like, so the kudos to Charlotte for, I don't even know if when they picked up Rosier, they, they meant for that to happen. I mm. think he was brought in to be the the primary guy. And then Devonte was just so good last year. And then you yep. pick LaMelo. So some of it is like, you know, in a way, good fortune, but like they've taken advantage of it. And uh, I give Rozier, one of the things I do give him credit for is that he's like bought into that role. Totally. Um, he, he could have, he could mope and try to be an alpha or blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, hunt, you know, like just hunt pick and rolls or whatever. And, and I, I don't think for, I don't think he does that. I don't think that we've talked about this on the pod before, but this is also something that helps out. This is something that helps out Rozier. This is something that helps out. Like if you're trying to stare down and think about what a Devante, you know, LaMelo backcourt would look like. And this certainly what helps when you play LaMelo with Malik Monk. I'll have to pay attention to this a little bit more. What do you guys think about LaMelo ball off of the basketball? This is something Richie, you and I talked about this with Div and Spencer a couple weeks ago. Like we want to see him more in sort of these like off ball actions, but I'm talking about as like a, as just like a, a, a secondary weapon, obviously you want the ball in his hands. But this is something we hear about Trey Young a lot, right? That when Trey Young or James Harden, when they bring the ball up across Quaff Court, if they give it up, they're not moving. Like they're stationary. Do you guys have what are you, what did you got? What do you guys have a sense or a feel for how you think Lamelo has done in the half court away from the basketball? Perhaps even specifically, like after he's given it up to another guard or something like that. I actually have not paid too close attention to that. Just based off of kind of my memory, I, I wouldn't think that he's a guy, you know, just based off what I'm seeing, I don't yeah. think that he's moving all that much off ball in terms of just, you know, coming off of screens. I know that Borrego is trying to get him to move, and I know that that's part of the system where everyone mm-hmm. is moving and they're, they're you know, they're, they're moving the ball around. I feel like sometimes when he gives the ball up and then he gets the ball back, 
it's obviously so late in the shot clock. He kind of turns he turns into a shooter or an ISO. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. which, you know, hasn't been bad by any means, but I don't see him as a guy yet as someone that can come off of screens and stuff like that. But uh yeah. again, you 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 want the offense to be started by LaMelo and not necessarily like, you know, ending with him coming off a, a pin down or anything like that. But yeah. that's something that's got to be in his game. But I, I to be honest with you, I've not noticed it enough, but maybe yeah. that's just because I'm not looking out for it. Yeah, I would say because of his obvious and evident basketball instincts, you would like to project that he could eventually be an intelligent off-ball mover. Yeah. And because of his size, you can really play him with almost any type of guard, which is why I don't think that a Devontae Graham LaMelo ball backcourt into the future is necessarily not going to work. I think it can work. Um, the only other point I would make would be that he's shooting, interestingly enough, he's shooting the ball much more effectively from three everywhere but the corner. Um, and a lot of times it feels like that is in isolation. Um, he's kind of got this like pat patented off the extended wing isolation deep pull up three that he just continually goes to and he just he just levitates into that thing. It's it's so funny to watch him do it. And it's kind of crazy that it's becoming like this um, recognizable uh, move and play that he does already. Um, so I, I guess maybe you worry if he's not a great corner three point shooter, can, can he exist off the ball effectively? But again, I go back to his basketball instincts and in basketball intelligence and would be willing to bet that eventually he could succeed in that role even though maybe you don't want him in that role because he is so brilliant on the ball yeah it's just you just want to make sure that he's mobile on possessions when he does give the ball up and that it's not that the defense doesn't can't just say okay now we we get to play five on four because Melo's passed it to shooting guard x um i don't think it's been an issue so far but it is something that i need to i I need to to monitor a little bit more going forward so with all the praise we're giving out, I, I do want to bring up something that's been a little bit worrisome, and it's not necessarily specific to this West Coast trip, you know, starting at Utah and, and ending in Minnesota, but it's something that's, you know, really is not going away, or it feels like it's not going away, and that's the three-point defense. I, I think that, <laughs> did did, uh, did Portland set a record for the season in terms yes. of three? Okay, okay. That may, that may have been a franchise record, actually, last gotcha. night. Yeah, so... Borrego has stated, he, he has stated on numerous occasions that his priority is for the team to defend the paint, right? Like he, he mentioned earlier in the season that he tried to take away last season, both the three point line and the paint. And it just didn't seem like it was working. And I, I think for certain teams, I can kind of tend to agree that, that it's going to be hard, you know, when you don't have the personnel to do both, but you know, for example, some of the, some of the better defensive teams, you know, over the past handful of years, for example, the Bucks, they've done a good job of just allowing teams to shoot threes, uh, and they've walled off the paint and they tempt you into those three pointers. But they also have the physically like imposing players that are standing right there at the edge of the paint, where yes. you're not going to get a shot at the rim regardless. So they have a little bit more of a greater effect there. But 
Just looking this up in the last five games on this trip, teams are shooting north of 53% from three. That's a league's worst. Teams are shooting 44% on above the break threes, which is also a league worst in that time span. So do you guys think that this is something that they can fix overnight, or is it just too ingrained in the defensive system to just wall off the paint that, you know, this is something that we're going to live with all year. So this is, this is something I've been kind of concerned about all year. And it essentially boils down to like you're talking about, it's kind of the unattractive shot profile that this Hornets team has been allowing all season. And you're right. Like you can allow a bunch of threes if you are elite at protecting the rim. And I don't think that the Hornets right now are elite at protecting the rim, although they have improved in that aspect. The defense was a top 10 defense early in the season. And most of that was due to um, a short stint of matchup zone that I think threw some teams off for, for, for a little bit, an off speed pitch that Borrego intelligently threw, but was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And just poor shooting percentages against our team that you could almost boil down to, to luck. And, and a lot of those averages um, have regressed to the mean against the Hornets defense. Just like you said, Richie, all those stats that show how uh, teams are just blitzing us from the three-point line. And um, we, we allow the 28th most threes in the league, according to cleaning the glass. It feels that way when you're watching the game. And the, the other point that I would make would be sometimes it depends on who you give the threes to. And you might live with a 34% three-point shooter taking nine threes in a game, but when you allow the other team's best shooter, such as even though obviously we pulled the game out in dramatic fashion, Buddy Heald had a field day, the Charlotte Hornets. So I think there's a distinction there between some of these teams that allow three points at a high frequency, but are very discretionary about who those threes are uh, taken by. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that the Hornets are um, being as selective enough as they should. Now, they don't, I they think don't discriminate, Lee. They don't discriminate. At all. No, no. Away, baby. <laughs> I think there's a, a really like interesting conversation. I'm sure Brian will have some thoughts on this too, about how that can be solved. And obviously like cutting off dribble penetration and, and being better in closeout situations would probably help. But there's got to be trade-offs to that, too. And like you said, Borrego has kind of indicated that he wants to protect the rim at all costs. So um, maybe it's something they're willing to live with. But that defensive rating now is a, a good bit below league average and has kind of nosedived over the last two and a half, three weeks. So it's a concern. It's a real concern, Richie. And I'm glad you brought it up because as much fun as this team is, We've still got to figure out, you know, where the flaws are. And, and you know, it's a 16 and 18 team as, as, as awesome as they are. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the turnover rate, they continue to force turnovers, right? Like yep. third uh, in the NBA, they still force a ton of turnovers. But, but, but yeah, just like, you know, the, the shooting numbers have, have gone in the, a bad direction for them. They've been giving up the most corner threes all season, like from the jump. And that continues. They're giving up way more than anyone uh, per cleaning the glass. Yeah. I mean, 14.2% of opponent field goal attempts against Charlotte have been corner threes this year. A uh, league average is 8.9%. 
Uh, Miami is second worst. Another team, Miami and Toronto are second and third worst. Those are two teams that actually play a fair amount of zone uh, as well, albeit not quite as much as Charlotte. The Hornets are playing less zone. That's another trend mm-hmm. that we've yeah. seen going like that is something that like I think we've all noticed on the eye test, but the, the numbers back that up now too. Uh, now at this point, less than 16% of Charlotte's half-court defensive possessions this season have been in zone. Um, that was like a couple of weeks ago. 19. That was like, yeah, that was like 20, over 20%. I mean, like even before then it was 19. I mean, it just continues yeah. to, to drop fairly rapidly. Um, man-to-man defense, they rank 24th in half-court uh, defensive efficiency as a, as a man-to-man team with opponents having uh, an effective shooting rate of 55%, which is, yeah, man, it's like, it's a big, it's a good, it's a good number. It's a good number, um, even if you are forcing a lot of turnovers or whatever. But um, so they're just, they're, one part of it is like, they are limited in personnel. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, I think, Lamelo, because he has such good basketball IQ and instincts, he can he can be really impactful as a team defender. We've all talked about that plenty of times uh, over the last uh, you know however many months or so, or leading even leading into the draft. Um, you know they don't really have a great point of attack defender. I think Monk has maybe maybe Monk like you know he has he has some moments. Hayward can be a good defender, but it's not like he's a stopper. Zeller is a good defender, but like uh, he certainly compared to biz, but you know, it's not like he's, he's not Brooke Lopez dropping into the print paint and protecting the rim. Um, he's not, you know, he, he offers you some switch and, and we've seen them switch plenty with, with Zeller or with when PJ, when he's at the five this year too, but that leaves you exposed in other areas. Again, Zeller is a good, like a good defensive center, but um, you know, you lack some in terms of rim protection and, like, you know, isn't a guy that you just say like, oh, if we can't throw it to Joel and beat on the block against Cody Zeller, like you know, teams are still going to post Zeller up if they have the right guy or whatever. What he does best is sort of like corralling pick and rolls and, and that sort of stuff. But he's not quite as good as he probably was uh, a couple of years ago. So, like, they're limited in personnel long term. I'm not I think it depends on what your definition of long term is like. If we're looking only through this season, yeah, I just don't, I don't see it getting better. Like, I, like I think, I think what we're at, like, you, maybe, maybe they'll try to play more. They'll, they'll dial the zone back up. Uh, maybe that's more of a matchup thing. Um, it, Lee, you and, and, and Div the other week both used good baseball analogies to talk about it. Like Boston or Charlotte was treating this off-speed pitch like it was a fastball, right? Yep. And um, and yeah, it feels like the scout may have eventually gotten out on out on that. Um, but they're limited in terms of personnel. And so I think they're going to make, they're trying to make the best of what they, uh, of what they have. But yeah, Richie, you said like, or you believe one of you guys said this, like the, the shot chart against Charlotte is not pretty. Like no. teams don't take mid range shots. They get what they want at the rim if they want it. And the corner is open. Uh, first, first in the league and limiting mid-range jumpers, which, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, you know, great, I guess. And, and I thought, I thought last night against Portland, um, the game started to get a little out of hand, especially after Portland hit a couple big threes. And I thought Charlotte sort of lost its head defensively. Um, that's just one game. Yep. But they were sort of just like, like it was like, these aren't even rotations. Like guys are just like running and closing out, but there's no like rhyme or reason to this. They're like, this is just like, throwing shit at a wall and, and hoping that like they miss uh, and that you can just start running in transit, get a rebound and run in transition or whatever. 
Uh, so that wasn't great, but, but I think it, as long as they, they're, they're sticking to the system and they're trying stuff, um, and they're at least in the right places enough times, like they're going to give some stuff up, but the hope is that just, I guess like, you know, six out of 10 nights, the, the offense is enough and you're able to force enough turnovers and cash it in and transition. All right, let's get to the listener questions here. Um, Two of them kind of deal with the same thing, so I will read them together. Uh, One is from Brian, not Brian here on the call, but uh, a different Brian. And then the other one uh, is too long of a name on Twitter. I'm not going to read. But so one of them saying, are you are they trying to trade Graham? The dude's jumping around on the sideline. So there's no way his knee is still hurting him. And then the other one from Brian says between Monk and Devante, who would you rather keep past this year? So first off to address that first question, no, they are not trying to trade Graham. If he caught wind of that, I don't think he'd be jumping around on the sideline. So it's not like they're trying to, you know, keep him healthy for a trade. I really think he's resting up here in terms of, uh, you know, getting that. Is it the knee? Is that what it is? Yeah, the knee, the knee back to where it needs to be. But yeah, this is a tough question. If you guys had to choose either or between Monk and Devante moving forward past this season, I do have a soft spot for Devante. So there's a portion of me that kind of wants to lean that direction. But in this very moment, uh, if you had to ask me today, I think I'd have to keep Monk if it was an either or situation. Not that Devante is a bad fit uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but Monk just seems to be playing well right now. He can also fit a, a different mold or a different role. He can be an off-the-bench scorer. He can be an off-the-bench facilitator. He can also finish games, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And may, maybe, just maybe, that Devante is a little bit redundant with LaMelo on this team. Um, so maybe he's more replaceable than Monk can be. But this is a very difficult question, and I probably could be asked this question next week, and I would change my answer. It is It is a tough. It's an interesting question. I mean, I think you handled the first one uh, very well. Uh, you know, and Brian, speaking prior to the pod, just chopping it up, made a great point that, for good or bad, the the reality of this team is they are in a fight for their playoff lives and they are not sellers right now. I, I think that's easy enough to uh, ascertain, you know, th- they're going to try to win. So so they're not going to be, in my opinion, at least shipping out any of these crucial pieces. And all of these guys that are in the, the, the top seven to eight of this rotation are absolutely crucial cogs at this point. I'll take the other side of the coin. I, I would actually slightly lean towards Devonte. I love Malik Monk. I like Brian. Have never sold my Malik Monk stock. I've been I've been holding on to it. You know, we might have been one of only ten people on that <laughs> island, but 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 I truly still believed in him. There's a couple. There's a Monk hive online. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good I point. respect there, and enjoy those people. Be there honest. is a monk uh, Twitter hive for sure, and yeah. and 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 they they deserve the kind of uh, roses that, that they're getting yeah. right now. Devonte, as a proven playmaker, I think uh, still is very important to this team. I talked earlier about the luxury that having Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball on your roster gives you last season before LaMelo was in Charlotte, when Devontae Graham went to the bench, the offense just completely cratered. And I think that having two playmakers at the point guard position 
is is important enough that I would just slightly lean towards Devontae, even though, again, Malik holds a special place in my Hornets heart. And again, as I said earlier, I think LaMelo and Devontae coexisting into the future is is more of a real possibility than I ever expected uh, due to LaMelo's size and all the other things he brings to the game. Um so, so, and that's my thought, and I'll, I'll kick it to Brian here, but I think the other interesting part of this question is it may be a real question in a few months. I mean, this mm-hmm. actually may be a situation that Mitch Cupcat and the front, front office have to negotiate in real life, not just uh, kind of mm-hmm. pontificating about it on a podcast. Yeah, it's um, the vibes are so good with this team that it's like not super appealing to like think about kind of an interesting off season on the horizon for Charlotte, just given, uh, you know, where they are with Zeller, Malik Monk and, um, and Devonte Graham. I think there's a, I think there's a, a way you can have all of these guys on, on the same team. Yep. Um, but, but probably if, if you have that scenario, well then, you know, in the intermediate term, how does Terry Rozier factor into it? Yeah. Like it's, Again, these are these are Lamelo is the staple, right? And everything else is like floating off of that. I don't want to lose sight of like how good Devontae Graham was last season. He was an amazing offensive player, despite the fact that like you know he can't really finish inside the three point arc, but just his pull up shooting, his passing, playmaking, his leadership, his clutch offense over two seasons now has been so good. No, I love him. I, I want nothing. I want him to have a, a, a wonder. I want both of these guys. I want Monk and Devontae to have terrific careers. It's probably important to remember Devontae Graham, despite entering the NBA a year after Malik Monk is three years older than <laughs> there's Malik the, there's Monk. There's the age. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. He, he, he turned 26 last month and, and Malik Monk turned 23. So Devontae's Great still point. young. But like the point I'm trying to make is that it, you could say that the best version of Devonte is is what we've seen already. Now, maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Like, there's maybe some low hanging fruit about him getting better as like a, you know, even like a mid range pull up shooter mm-hmm. or, or something like that. But like, he's always going to struggle defensively. He's probably going to always struggle at the rim. He's been good from the mid range this year, Brian. He's been good from the mid range. Okay, yeah, it's good to know. <laughs> um, but uh, so I don't know. Like Monk, in theory, should still be have has more run- runway to improve. He's a better defender, um, better at getting to the rim. You have LaMelo to be potentially like your sort of like heliocentric offensive playmaker. Huh, it's, I mean, it's splitting hairs. But because, I, I, because again, both these guys have, they, they fit like they, they are, they are pieces in the NBA, whether they're starters or they're guys that like, you know, really prop up and carry a, a second unit. You know who? Who we don't. The jury's probably still out with both of these guys at this point. Uh, I'll go. I'll go Malik, but I I do like it, it, it. I genuinely feel bad about that because I realize how important Devonte is to the culture in Charlotte, to what he did for this team, and and if he's the guy, like I'll, you know, if he's the guy that they they choose to go forward with, then mm-hmm. I, that's okay because he's really he's a really freaking good basketball player too. You broke the tie there, Brian. You broke the tie. That's right. <laughs> we, we, we wanted to put you in that position. So, all right. Mm-hmm. I want to get to this last you. listener question. Uh, it says mainly for Richie, so I'll just answer it real quick because this is a longtime listener. Uh, yes. He says, who is the best-dressed Hornet on the roster? So I think he's coming to me for fashion advice because he knows I'm just so well-dressed and put together. That's right. So That's right. <laughs> 
I'm going to go, to answer this question, Keith, I'm going to go Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, and Devontae Graham are in my top three. Uh, I think those three do the best in kind of showing off their personality, but they're not, they don't take it over the top. Mm -hmm. Some players, I'm not going to name names, they just wear too crazy of designs and too many colors going on at once. It's a little (laughs) bit hectic. These three, they keep it simple, but they still kind of show off their personality. And no surprise here, but I feel like Gord's style is similar to mine. So he's got to be in my top three if that's the case. So, And I also think the Martin twins are up there. Whenever they post pictures of them, I obviously can't tell them apart. So it's hard for yeah. me to, it's hard for me to <laughs> yeah. judge who was the better dresser of the two. But uh, they, they both come in with some nice outfits as well. Lee, do you want to yeah. weigh in on this at all? Do you, do you, do you, look, at, do you uh, look into fashion or no? Just shocked you didn't say Cody Zeller. I mean, he's just- oh god, oh god, <laughs> holy crap! Like the, Zeller sometimes is in like a button up that I would have worn in like seventh grade. On the it's like surrounded by millionaires wearing like a like a button up from like the Gap or Old Navy. It's like what? Like oh man, yeah. Indiana just you make you make some simple people, you know? Yep. Sometimes yep. so. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my only contribution. <laughs> perfect. I mean, like, it, it's funny. Like if I, I would just, I would just wear a hoodie and sweats. I would just dress like the slob that I am already. Like I wouldn't, I don't think money, like the, the sweats would just be nicer. That's yep. probably all the shoes. Be of a higher quality. Yeah. It's slightly higher quality. Um, but, uh, but yeah, even if I were placed on an NBA bench, I think my, 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 my fit would be pretty, uh, mediocre uh at uh at, at best but uh i always enjoy when they post those photos yeah. on uh on instagram of the guys like why part of me sometimes it's not just the food it's not just the clothes but it's always interesting interesting to see the guys that are bringing food into the arena like, i feel like kemba always had like mama walker always had some like food prepared kemba was always walking in with some tupperware yeah. uh, and i feel like i feel like rosier is a tupperware guy too um so yeah, they, something to, they, uh, they just need to have one time like just as a as a joke just bring in like mcdonald's like have a big thing of like coke and like have fries popping out of the bag that that's the that way to do it you know mj probably mj definitely did ads for mcdonald's yep. right yep. Yeah. So there you go you're just it's all part of the uh promotion it's all, it's all part of the brand yeah, yeah exactly but uh lee i think we owe you thanks for coming on and i think yep. we also owe you i think this is your is this your third time on the pod? I was gonna say, am I am I challenging Div now? You, I think you and Div, uh, you you've unlocked the, the key. You have the, you possess the key to the the, the room of threes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. this, this is your third time. I'll on have to show. shoot him a DM and let him know I'm I'm right on his heel. That's right. That's right. Send one to Miles and say that. Send one to Miles Bridges and say you're two above him. Yeah. On the uh, the pod now. See how. See if he. I'm sure he'll really care about that. He will. He will. Yeah. <laughs> No, I appreciate you guys. Yes, yeah. we we do appreciate it. It was another last minute request for you to hop on, and and you did it in stride. And I'm also sure people didn't tune in to hear our fashion take, so this is a good time <laughs> to wrap. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in, guys. As always, we'd appreciate a rating and review on the pod Apple Podcast. It takes all of thirty seconds. For Lee, for Brian, we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.